Nevada, Nevada. And you know what I said? I said when I came out here, I said, nobody says it the other way. It has to be Nevada. And if you don't say it correctly, and it didn't happen to me, but it happened to a friend of mine, he was killed. It's the greatest state in the nation, Nevada. What makes Nevada the greatest? Well, did you know that with its millions of lights, Las Vegas is considered the brightest spot on earth? You know what they say, what happens in Vegas can be seen from outer space. She's deep in the heart of the Golden West. Home means Nevada to me. One more time now. Home means Nevada to me. If you've ever listened to this podcast, even one time, you've probably heard me say that I grew up in Nevada. That's where I'm from. I cringe at how often I hear myself say it. It's like a cornerstone of my identity. I'm proud of it. I'm not even really sure why, to be honest. I don't really know why anybody is proud to be from anywhere. It's just a place. Except it's not, right? I wasn't born in Nevada, but I learned to ride a bike there. I graduated from high school there. I've spent almost every Christmas there. I became a person there. I'm not really sure if we ever outgrow our hometowns. We just sort of build on top of them, for better or worse. They leave marks all over us. That's Nevada. Nevada has its mark all over me. And who I am, how I think, my political beliefs, all of it. It's essential. To quote our state song, home means Nevada to me. But for a lot of other people, it's the butt of jokes. Shotgun weddings, what happens in Vegas, Reno 911. To the outside world, people that haven't been in Nevada long enough to love it, there is a lot to make fun of. But there's always been one time when the whole country had to shut up and give Nevada the respect that it deserves. Election time. Nevada has had a long history as a red state, but the migration of Californians over the past decade, experts say, has reshaped its politics. And that's playing out in the 2020 presidential election. The road to a Republican Senate majority runs through Nevada, and the reason is simple. Economic pain runs deep in this state. Moderate and progressive Democrats are divided in Nevada at a time when the party desperately needs to come together. All eyes on Nevada tonight as votes are still being counted here and across the country as the presidential race remains too close to call. See, Nevada only has six electoral votes, but it is a battleground state. And that means that Nevada elections are always competitive and closely watched. All of a sudden, everyone has to come to Nevada and be humbled, begging for votes. But this election cycle feels a little different. I've been noticing an anger, um, a resentment, that's becoming more visible. I've seen a rise of election denial pro-conspiracy candidates, and a post-Trump red wave was predicted. Experts even said that Catherine Cortez Mastra, the senator for Nevada, is the most vulnerable of any seat in the country. But Democrats are trending upward nationwide, and Dobbs is proving to be very influential at the ballot box, and Nevada is one of the most pro-choice states in the union. So in truth, nobody really knows how this is going to shake out. But if anybody could, it would be John Ralston, a man so synonymous with Nevada politics that Chuck Todd dubbed him Mr. Nevada. John has been covering politics in Nevada for more than 30 years. His blog, Ralston Reports, was a pillar of my political education. He's hosted several TV shows, Ralston Live and Ralston Reports. He's a regular on the Sunday shows, MSNBC, Fox News, PBS, and he's been on Meet the Press more times than I can count. He's written for the Reno Gazette Journal, the Las Vegas Sun, and in 2017, he founded the Nevada Independent, which is a nonprofit media outlet focused on unbiased and transparent journalism. John is an old-school news guy. If you can imagine the type of dogged, hard-hitting reporter that you might see in like a black-and-white film noir, that's John. But more than that, I have looked up to John for most of my professional life. He means a lot to my home state, and I'm truly honored to have him on the show today. I hope that you enjoy it. If you have thoughts on the episode, future episodes, or if you just want to tell me what's on your mind, you can always email me at talk at moderatepartypodcast.com. As always, I'm your host, Hillary Lombard, and this is Moderate Party. Let's get started. 
John Ralston, thank you for joining Moderate Party. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. I want to start out with a question that panders to my home state listeners and educates everybody else. How would you correctly pronounce the name of the state that we're going to be talking about today? Oh, you know, I'm the gatekeeper of this, Hillary. Nevada. Say it as Nevada or stay out. Yeah, we take it very seriously. (laughs) We do indeed. So you were not born in Nevada? No, I, I, I was born in uh, New Jersey, grew up in Buffalo, New York, and I've been in Nevada since 1984. Yeah, so I'm curious what brought you here and what kept you here? Uh, both good questions. Uh, I got a master's in journalism from the University of Michigan, and I was looking around for jobs, and there was a night police reporter job available in Las Vegas. I didn't know much about Las Vegas, and back then, it was the cliche like, what? Las Vegas is really a city. It's more than the Las Vegas Strip. I, I'd been to the Strip once with some friends uh, uh, at, dur- during college. That was all I knew of Las Vegas. And so I, I called my um, uh, a guy I knew from an internship at the Sacramento Bee who had worked in Reno, I knew. Uh, and he said, it's a great place to cut your teeth. You should go and, and, and check it out. I did. Uh, I got the job. And I thought I'd be uh, here in Nevada for about two years on my career path back east to the New York Times, uh, where every young journalist dreams of of, of working, at least did at the time. But uh, the reason I stayed much more than two years, I'm about to have my 39th anniversary soon, my God, Um, is is that opportunity just kept knocking. And uh, I became a political reporter uh, in in my late 20s, a columnist. Before I turned 30, got TV shows and just did a lot of different things. And I've never wanted to leave. I, I, I just, uh, uh, I mean, people have asked me about why don't you try to get a job in Washington or a big, bigger city. And, you know, I, I just, I, I love doing what I do. And uh, I, 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 I've uh, kind of carved out a niche here that uh, uh, has made me very, very happy. Are you still in Vegas? Yes. I will forgive you for that. <laughs> why, why do I, I have to be forgiven for that? Because Reno is the correct answer. Mm, I love Reno, too. I've lived in Reno for a couple of years. Uh, I, I like to think of myself as bi-regional. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's been a lot of talk in this news cycle about a red wave happening in Nevada. And I am, a, I am red wave curious, I guess, to say Nevada is notoriously a purple state. So do you think that something has fundamentally changed in Nevada or are we just on the red side of a purple state? Well, things have changed, but you used an uh, an interesting adverb there because it is the key to the entire election. Have things fundamentally changed? So let's let's talk about what has changed. Uh, The voter registration numbers here uh, have have been favorable to the Democrats, very favorable to the Democrats, at least since 2008, when the Democratic Party really revved up here and we got early state status for for the presidential race. And they they have made a habit, um, and it's mostly due to a machine built by Harry Reid, the late Senate Majority Leader, of being able to register many many more voters than than Republicans, uh, especially during election years. Uh, that is not happening this cycle. Uh, and, and, and the Republicans have cut the lead, not so much because of anything that they've done, but because of the national atmospherics. I think Joe Biden's numbers are very low in the state. In fact, uh, on the Nevada Independent website today, we have the latest polling numbers uh, for Joe Biden. They're upside down in this state. And so that uh, has has altered maybe, Hillary, the, the, the fundamentals to use your uh, word again, but you've also had the rise of non-major party voters. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and when I first started covering politics here in the dark ages of 1986, <laughs> uh, Nevada was a, was not a purple state. It was more a, a lean red state. Uh, and, and so it's been that long since the numbers have been that close. And the rise of the, of the non-major party voters is a lot due to what's called a motor voter law that was passed a couple of legislative sessions ago that uh, allows people to register when they go and get their driver's license renewed, but also automatically registers them as non 
partisan if they choose not to. So mm-hmm. that that has contributed to it to some extent. But there are other indicators. There are many more Republicans, um, uh, Democrats, excuse me, switching to the Republican Party than the other way around in the in Nevada. And so, uh, is there going to be a red wave? I, I've been pretty successful at predicting the outcomes of uh, uh, elections, but not not on August fifth. Uh, it's it's, <laughs> it's way too early uh, to know what's going to happen. Uh, is 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 what happened in Kansas with the abortion referendum the canary in the coal mine for the rest of the country is an ab- aberration. We're we're a very pro-choice state and have been uh, for uh, more than thirty years. Uh, but can candidates, Democratic candidates, save themselves uh, by turning uh, uh, to abortion? Some are trying. One other thing, and I know this is probably a much uh, longer answer than you wanted. The best no, hope give it to me. <laughs> the best hope that the Democrats have in this state, and the 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 reason there may not be a red wave, or at least as deep and broad a red wave as is being predicted, is the Republicans have nominated some really really bad candidates in some of these races, including major statewide races. Um, and I'm not just talking about election deniers. They have done that. Just people who are manifestly unqualified. And, and the fact that those people have a chance, have a chance, Hillary, tells you what the atmospherics look like right now on August 5th as you and I are talking. Yeah, they did draft a pretty bad batch. <laughs> Do you think that Nevada is becoming more conspiracy curious or what? how is this happening? I'm not sure that Nevada is that different than than every other state in the country. Uh, you know, Nevada really is three different states, and you know this because uh, you're, you're 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 from here. There's Las Vegas and Reno, which which are, are the urban areas, but even they are very different. And anyone mm-hmm. who's lived in both know 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 that. And then you have this vast swath, these 15 counties in between. That's like a completely different world. And and they have been much more uh, susceptible to what Trump and others have done in terms of saying the election was stolen, other kinds of conspiracy theories. And listen, there's been a lot written about this, Hillary, and there's different reasons why people would be so gullible as to believe this kind of thing. Um, but I don't know if Nevada is that different than, than than some other states. It's definitely happening here, and not just in rural Nevada. There are pockets in urban Nevada where it's true too. And living in Reno, you certainly know that. I will say a brief shout out to those fifteen counties he mentioned. As we record this, I'm drinking out of my Winnemucca mug. Shout out to Humboldt County. <laughs> I should have my Elko County mug here, but I do not today. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I do think that there is something different about Nevada when it comes to our acceptance of militias. Nevada really likes this outlaw energy that you see in some of those right-wing groups. At least when I go home to Humboldt County, I see a lot of support for groups like that. Do you think that that's an outlier just in Humboldt or? No, but but I don't think it, I also don't think it's an outlier for Nevada. I think it is all too common in rural America uh, yeah. that, that, that this is occurring. And maybe more so, you might be right, more so in Nevada because of our history of being a frontier state, a gun-friendly state, the sagebrush rebellion uh, uh, that, that, that still exists in some pockets of, of rural Nevada. So um, I, I think Nevada may be special in that way, but rural America is where a lot of, of, of these militias are and where the mm-hmm. white nationalism and conspiracy theories thrive. I'm interested about the effect that you think the Dobbs decision is going to have on Nevada politics. And if you give me a maybe, I will be so upset. Nevada is notoriously one of the most pro-choice states Um in the country, do you think that it will positively impact the results of the election for Democrats? Yes. Um, the question is how much. 
And the question is, it's going to vary from campaign to campaign. For instance, let's talk about the U.S. Senate race, which is Mm -hmm. either with the governor's race, one of the two marquee races on the ballot. You have a historically pro-choice Democrat, Catherine Cortez Masto, running against a very, very uh, pro-life Republican, Adam Laxalt, so pro-life that against the wishes of a pro-choice governor, when he was attorney general, he filed briefs uh, uh, in, in, in abortion cases in other states and, and has said that Roe versus Wade is, quote, a joke. And so I think, and she, she gets this in her campaigns very smartly, has been using all this stuff even before Dobbs, but even more now that, 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 that uh, Dobbs and Kansas and, and, and in the environment, they think they can they can exploit this. It may not take much um, if I say that it's going to have an impact. Um, it may not. It may only have to be a marginal impact in what could be a close race to change the outcome of of, of that race. Um, and all of the polling in the Senate race would suggest that it's going to be very close. Yeah. Again. Um, yes. Uh, again. I. I am. Listen. I'm. I'm a rabid polling data. Guy, I love consuming that information and dissecting. I, I, I will tell you that there's so much that could happen. We just don't know. But I, I think it's reasonable to assume that 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 campaigns that are skillful in putting abortion at at, at the top, yeah. they could turn the tide. Now, are we are 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 we going to have debates where 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 they're going to talk about abortion in the governor's race, in the Senate race, in 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 others? I don't know the answer to to, to that, um, but I, I do think it's going to have an impact, especially in a state. And people, I, 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 even before you were born uh, in 1990, I think um, there was a there was a referendum uh, I, I, that was put on the ballot in Nevada uh, the, to to cement the statute, pro-choice statute, 24 weeks, I, I believe, uh, and and that means that if it passed, it w- it would could only be repealed by another referendum that passed by two to one uh hillary mm-hmm. in, in a state that was not as purple as as it is now by by the way um and yeah. tremendous amounts of money were spent uh, in that tremendous amounts of time i should say and it wasn't close and all the polling shows that those numbers have held throughout the last three decades so um adam laxald joe lombardo other pro-life candidates are not going to want to talk about abortion or Dobbs. And they're going to try to say it's settled here in the van. Now, of course, in the Senate race, it may not be settled because you could do a federal abortion ban, right? Mm-hmm. In the governor's race, a governor could still do things to restrict uh, uh, the, the access to abortion in Nevada. Um, and, and so it is going to be an issue, um, whether it's a 1% issue or a 5% issue, I, I don't know, or, or more. But even if it's just a one percent issue, that could make it that could make a difference if those races are still close in November. Do you think it makes a difference? Let's say in the Senate race, because that's probably the one that people are watching the closest. Um, yes, I, I think it does, but because it, it's top of mind now. But the challenge mm-hmm. for the campaigns is to keep it top of mind if they want it to be an issue, and that's very difficult because when I first started covering politics, believe it or not. The internet didn't exist. There was no such thing as a 24-7 news cycle. Social media uh, did, didn't exist. Now the velocity with which information moves and that things can change is so much greater than, than, than it ever has been that it's really going to take a lot of work from these campaigns. Now, uh, uh, some of them are going to be better at it than others. Uh, uh, Catherine Cortez Masto's campaign so far, so far has been one of the better campaigns that I've seen in a long, long time. Um, can they keep that up? Can they do it? I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but abortion is going to make a difference. Uh, Hillary, you can quote me on that. Uh, I just don't know how much of a difference. I think you're right to compliment her campaign. Cause I think that they're doing a lot, especially if you consider that she is allergic to communicating her accomplishments. I think that the campaign's working hard to compensate for that. <laughs> well, you, you know, it's very insightful of you to say that. And it's frustrated Democrats ever since she was attorney general that she just, you know, she, yeah, she's a workhorse, not a show horse. That's one thing. But she just made no effort to tout what she has done. 
Uh, she just she's a very substantive person, whether you like her politics or not. And she does, mm-hmm. she's just not a good at, 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 at what you just said, touting her accomplishments. But their messaging and their ads and their attacks on Laxalt, too, have been very focused uh, on issues that 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 at least polling says resonate uh, with people. Uh, I mean, you care about high gas prices. Uh, yeah, the natural thing that the Republicans are going to do are going to uh, blame Joe Biden and, by extension, Catherine Cortez Masso. They are running ads about all the money that that uh, Laxalt has taken from the oil and gas industry, uh, which is also the kind of thing I think that could resonate uh, with voters. But um, so far, her, I, I think there's general agreement that that she is running the best campaign of any campaign out there right now. Doesn't mean she's going to win. But but she is running the best campaign. That that is no guarantee that she's going to win. Even some of the best campaigns have lost because of other factors. And if there is a broad and deep red wave, she could lose to a clearly an inferior candidate. I would agree. Um, I want to switch topics a little bit. You wrote an article about the state Democratic Party in Nevada. And you said, say goodbye to the most effective state party in the country. Can you walk our listeners through the situation that caused you to write that article? Well, it was a long time ago, but it still holds. Um, uh, So the Democratic Party in Nevada has been a model for parties uh, across the country, mostly because Harry Reid, may he rest in peace, recruited all these phenomenal people to run it. And had essentially a very simple strategy. Uh, I've called it, and they don't like that I call it this, a legalized money laundering operation where they use the the party to funnel millions upon millions of dollars because you can't do that directly to candidates. And then they turn that that money into uh, voter registration drives and then turning out the votes, especially during early voting. Well, I, and they mastered that. And so many elections were actually over before a, a election day occurred because they were able to bank uh, so, so many votes. Um, what happened that caused me to write that column is that the Democratic Party here was taken over essentially by the Las Vegas Democratic Socialists. And they, they are amateurs and the way these parties work, and, and, and maybe some of your listeners don't don't get this, and they're lucky if they don't because it's insane, uh, is that essentially there is a central committee. It's called the central committee of a few hundred people, and they vote on the officers for the party. And Reed was able to control that. Uh, the Reed machine was able to control that. But <clears throat> starting with the rise of Bernie Sanders as far back as 2016, uh, he started getting young people and diff- different kinds of far-left people I- involved. And eventually they took over the party and a democratic socialist became chairwoman and the Reed folks, the Reed machine folks had no faith that these amateurs who uh, would would be able to run the party the way that they had. So they quickly took all the money out of the party and uh, there has been constant conflict ever since uh, this, this occurred. Uh, I'm losing in the time for, was it a couple of years ago I wrote that column, uh, Hillary? I think something something like I think so, yeah. I just know that the the former leader of the Democratic Party, I believe, resigned on my birthday last year. Okay. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. that, 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 that makes sense. It's been a while, but anyhow, um, and they have shown, uh, uh, I mean, they have done all kinds of things. I mean, the people running the party now that have driven the politicians, the Democratic politicians, crazy, attacking Israel, endorsing against the incumbent Republican, uh, incumbent Democratic lieutenant governor, just all kinds of stuff. And so what happened was, is that the Reed machine, which is now essentially the Cortez Masto Sisolak machine, started a different uh, entity called Nevada Democratic Victory, which is getting most of the money. Uh, and, and is doing most of the heavy lifting in, 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 uh, attacking Republican candidates and, and, and doing some field work as well. Initially, the, the, the Democratic Party, the real one, um, got a decent infusion of money from Bernie Sanders and, uh, uh, AOC making pitches for that. But that was a low hanging fruit. Once that was done, no one was going to give them, uh, money. 
And so um, there was a real question on something like that, and it's gotten some national attention. I've written ab- 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 about it. My the Nevada Independent has done some stories on it. Is that how much does that affect the election? Um, I've always said that I think that the Reed folks can operate outside of the party fine, but it's a branding issue for them. Mm-hmm. Republicans are always going to call Democrats socialists or, or, or whatever, uh, but now they really are. You know, that's yeah. who the Democratic Party is. And so it, it, it might have more resonance and they, and they have statements that they can pull out. Um, again, I think it's marginal, but I, I want to keep coming back to what we've been talking about. Hillary. These races could be close. And so uh, if some Democrats stay home or, or, or won't vote for, 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 for Democratic candidates for that reason, that could be a problem. Do you think that you can draw a line between the Democratic Socialists taking over the state party and the perceived red wave? No, I think they're no? Completely, no, I think I think they're completely distinct things. I think that that became problematic for the Democrats in Nevada. But the reason people think that there's going to be a red wave is twofold. First of all, any president in a midterm, uh, uh, it, it, the other party generally gains seats in Congress and does better in state elections. That's almost always going to happen. There are some exceptions. In 2018 here in Nevada was what was an exception uh, to, that, to that. But then what's, what's also happened is that after Joe Biden took office, um, the perception of, of his administration not doing well and him not being effective has caused his numbers to drop precipitously. Um, and so you can look historically at how deep red waves have been uh, mm-hmm. uh, in uh, midterms. And the lower than a presidential approval rating is, the deeper the red wave gets, uh, which is why uh, the Democrats didn't need to have uh, the um, uh, division within the party on top of all that going on right now. Now, again, I think it's only marginally going to be a factor because people, uh, most people care more about uh, you know, their grocery bills and, and, and their wages and, and gas prices than they do that there's a socialist at the end of the Democratic Party. But if Democrats are disillusioned or, or by, by some of that and don't vote, I think that's an issue. Now, by the way, I think the Republicans have a bigger issue on their side in, in the sense that Joe Lombardo won the governor's race and he won in the primary by about 11 points over a guy named Joey Gilbert who you know well in Reno and probably see his billboards all the time. Um, and Joey Gilbert is a complete kook. He's a conspiracy theorist. He's and, and, and And he's just a nut. And he said some of the craziest things you could imagine. And he got a quarter of the vote in the primary. I mean, if you ask him, he got the majority of the vote. And he is still denying that he lost. He lost by 11 percentage points, by the way. And he's saying... And he's filed a lawsuit contesting the election that is uh, one, one of the greatest pieces of lunacy you will ever see with all kinds of mathematical formulas that make no sense. But Hillary, I, I have believed, uh, and I believe it now more strongly than ever, that that could have a real world electoral impact on Republicans. If Joey Gilbert is telling this hardcore group that the election mm-hmm. was mixed, um, even in a Republican primary, that will that depress Republican turnout in November. It's going to have an effect. Again, we don't know yet whether it's 1% or 5% or greater, but I I think the effect of that is going to be much greater, whatever it is, than the effect of the Democratic Socialists taking over the party. And I just don't know the end game on that. Like, if you have to claim that your election in the Republican primary was stolen, do you think you're going to win an overwhelming amount of Democrats? (laughs) No, of course not. but but you're you're thinking rationally and logically, and that has nothing right. to do with this. That's my problem, honestly. Yes. We're going to take a quick break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. A majority of Republicans and Democrats alike agree that civic education is a key solution to healing many of the challenges we face as a country. Across the political spectrum, parents and voters agree that our kids deserve high-quality civics and history education. The very health and strength of our constitutional democracy depends upon it. That's why conservatives, progressives, and moderates have come together to support the bipartisan Civic Secures Democracy Act. Want to learn more about this generational investment in civics and history education? Go to civicsnow.org federal. 
That's C-I-V-X-N-O-W dot org slash federal. And now back to our show. One of the issues that I watch really closely is education. Nevada has been dead last or right around it in a ranking of all 50 states when it comes to education since I graduated high school, um, which was in 2011, not to date myself. But my little brother just graduated a couple of years ago, and we're still hovering around 49 to 46. And as my mom starts her job as assistant principal, it's still not better. So I have watched my family move in and out of the system over the course of the last uh, 10 years or more even. And we can't seem to get it together on education in Nevada. What's, what's your take on that? I've written a lot about this, Hillary, and I, I, I've uh, talked a lot about this, and it's very, very frustrating to watch, not just as an observer as a journalist, but it's someone who has lived here for uh, uh, more than half my life now, and as someone who put a kid through school here, including public uh, high schools, and who is now has uh, a stepdaughter who was going through the public school system. This is... It's it's more complicated than people w w would think, but there there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, components of this that have not changed, unfortunately, and continue to keep us down. It's not just that we don't spend enough money on education, but by the way, I don't think we do. It's we it, 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 it's that there has never been because of the kind of state Nevada is, and because of the industries that thrive in in Nevada and drive the economy. Education has not been a value uh, that, uh, in our culture that is put near the top. There's just no culture that values education. Sure, there are pockets in every place that do, but generally, it's not a place that is valued education enough, uh, in, in my opinion. And there, there, there also is, especially in Clark County, which I know is a Reno White, you don't want to hear this, drives the entire state. Yeah, this is happening in Washoe to some extent too, and and you know, is that you start to get the the demographics of the state have changed a lot since I started covering politics, and you have these majority minority districts, including uh, in 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 the fifth largest school district in the country in Clark County, and you it's very very difficult for these teachers who it's tough enough to get them to come here in the first place because we don't pay them enough. But also you have teachers, and I've used this example a lot, who walk into a classroom and there's essentially three kinds of kids in many of these schools. Kids who speak fluent English, kids who don't speak English at all or barely speak English, and then others who are in between. How do you teach to three very different cohorts like that and make them successful, put them on the path to success? So our dropout rate is still high, our achievement rates in certain grades are still very, very uh, low. There have been all kinds of things that have been tried by various governors, and right, every governor is the education governor. They love to call themselves that. But it's very difficult because I've covered the legislature, every legislature since 1987, and it's always them leaving, cheering what they've done, but all they've done is put Band-Aids on something that requires major surgery. Some sessions have been better than others, but there's always been this policy, these policies of incrementalism that don't really get to it. And I have to say, finally, because again, I'm giving you a longer answer than you probably want. I probably should have had less coffee before I started this <laughs> podcast. But, but I, I, I mean, you, you, you feel for parents who are turning to other, to other avenues, who believe now in school choice where maybe they didn't before, who want to send their kids to private school uh, if they can afford it, who, 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 who have changed their outlook because of their very personal experiences putting their kids through public schools. Now, I had a very good experience uh, with my son in, in public school generally. Generally, I think, and he was in private school until he went to high school. In many ways, the public school was better. Uh, I've had a mixed uh, um, uh, experience with my stepdaughter, although generally good, and 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 she's lucky. Lucky, I don't know if lucky's right word. She's so smart that, that that she can surmount some of the issues that exist in public schools. But I don't blame parents for getting desperate for for turning to other ways, homeschooling, school choice, charter schools, all the rest of it. I get it. So 
I understand why we're still, depending on what stats she used, 46, 49, 51st, whatever it is, it ain't good. Uh, and, and so I think it starts with a, a culture that doesn't value education enough and then gets to politicians who just aren't bold enough in what they, what they want to do. There, there are, there are some exceptions, but generally I think that's the problem. On the note of valuing education, I want to push back on that slightly because a publication that I read and respect, the Nevada Independent, recently said that uh, education was a distant second, but still second as far as Nevada voter priorities. Wouldn't that say that they value it to some degree? I, I guess you can look at it a couple different ways. You can look at it the way that you do, or, and, and they do value it, or uh, there's so much about how bad our education system is uh, that they want to help fix it. And I think more and more parents, but again, parents aren't going to fix this. They can play a role. I wish parents were more active in their kids' education, mm -hmm. but you still need politicians to make decisions to change it. I think being superintendent of the Clark County School District as, as populous and as demographically diverse as it is, is a harder job than being governor, theoretically. I think I think it really could be. And so there's just no easy and there's no easy answers here. Do people care about it? Yeah, but do, do they care about it because they are they saying they care about it in a poll because they think they should? And 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 their kid has just gotten home from school and <laughs> and then told them a horror story or they've experienced it themselves. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I hope I'm wrong about the culture. I hope it's changing, uh, but uh, we haven't seen any concrete results, right? Yeah, I think you're probably more right than I would like to admit. One of the stats that stands out to me is that Nevada has tripled its per-pupil spending since 1960, which still puts us about a third under the national average. And I think that that says a lot. I mean, I remember opening a textbook that was older than I was. Absolutely. That's that's a real problem. Uh, and And, you know, that is what conservatives will often point to the stat that you just talked about. Look, we've increased spending all this much and it hasn't done any good, which of course is totally disingenuous. And they don't look at the comparison to, as you just did, uh, what other states have done. So yeah, it's, it's depressing. Um, uh, I remember I was at a forum and this is quite some time ago. Um, I, I was moderating a forum among legislators and I said, I said to them, what do you say to critics who say we should just stop throwing money at the problem. And one of the legislators, uh, a very, it was, it was a glib answer, but it was at, and also had such resonance, I think, uh, said, wait a second, why don't we actually try throwing money at the problem? And then maybe we can decide if it works or not. Because we, I mean, even though these amounts sound like a lot, right? They're not nearly mm -hmm. as much as other states spend on education. And listen, you do need to spend wisely. You do need a more accountability in the system, uh, perhaps. Uh, but uh, uh, it's all of a piece. And the bottom line is, is that they're able to use numbers up in Carson City and then go and send their mailers out when they run for re-election saying, look what I did for education spending uh, without talking about that we're still 46, 48, whatever uh, the, the number is. So, you know, the really difficult question uh, is, what do you do about that? And, and, and how do you change it? Uh, and this is the proverbial turning around the battleship, right? It's going to take a while. You can't do it overnight, but you have to have people consistently. And by the way, you have to have Democrats and Republicans sitting at the same table and not talking past each other or attacking each other for spending too much or not spending enough. Uh, and that's in, in the environment that we live in now, Hillary, in this country in this state where everything is so polarized, very difficult to get at what is arguably the most important issue in the battle. Do you think that the foundation is there right now to make this a bigger issue and start writing the ship? Or do you think that we aren't even at the starting line? Um, again, I will give you an answer that I would never Don't accept you from do a politician. <laughs> I have to, and then I'll, I'll elaborate uh, on it. I, it depends. It, it depends what the legislature looks like next time. It depends who gets elected. It depends who the governor is. Uh, it, it, it depends on uh, groups. And I, I, speak, I give speeches uh, uh, to groups like chambers of commerce or business groups or rotary clubs. And I always say, you know, it's up to groups like you. 
you know, because I always ask about education and why is education. I said, if you if you don't press these legislators, not just during election time, but after they're elected to do the right thing, whatever you consider the right thing, to do, then you have only yourself to blame. The problem is, Hillary, is that most people aren't crazy like me and do this stuff 24 seven. They have lives. They have that. They, 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 they're not thinking about this all the time. They, they're, they're more worried about keeping their job, their, that their bosses are mad at me, that their kids aren't sick or they're, they're doing well in school. And so it's not as high a priority. So it's very difficult in an increasingly complex world to get people uh, to focus on that. But generally, we are not electing the best people to Carson City because those jobs are not that appealing. I mean, they pay them mm-hmm. nothing. They pay them, you know, essentially 10 grand. Um, and, and so you're going to get, you know, uh, retirees. 10 grand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I always say is you get retirees, some of them want to give back, and some of those will make good legislators. You get business people who maybe are smart and, and, and understand some of the issues and want to give back. And then you get people who think, wait for it, $10,000 every two years is a good salary. Then think of the quality of the people that you're that you're getting up there. So I've always said we should pay our legislators more, that they should meet more often, that they should have bigger staffs, uh, because otherwise the lobbyists uh, run everything because uh, they have such an advantage in, in, a, in a very compressed time frame. I mean, what an anachronism it is to have a legislature that meets every other year and has a set time period, four months to meet. I mean, that doesn't make any sense, except if you want to just say, you know, um, uh, just take the most cynical view of the more they're not there, the words, the better, because they can't do damage to us. It's insane, though. I mean, <laughs> like four months, right, out of every two years. That's it. I think the issues at the start of your term and the end of your term could be completely different. Well, it's absolutely right. They should. I mean, no one. I shouldn't say no. Very few people want to have a full-time legislature, except probably the legislators themselves. Um, but uh, it, it's insane not to have them at least meet every year. I mean, you could find the most genius uh, uh, IQ economists in the world, and they would not be able to predict what is going to happen 24 to 26 months in, in advance. But that's what essentially we're asking them uh, to do. Uh, and so they don't even meet in the, in the uh, even-numbered years to take a look at how the economy is doing, do adjustments need to be made, which programs are working and which aren't. No. And by the way, I don't think it's just, I think that totally skews the power dynamic in the state. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and people talk about the different branches of government and they're all co-equal. They're not in this state. The governor has an immense, immense amount of power because the legislators are only there to bother him four months out of every 24. And so that's not a good system. Hillary, there's no checks and balances there. And I'm not saying every governor abuses that, but they take advantage of it in the sense that there's more executive orders. They can, they can do all kinds of different things, some of which may be good, some of which may not. And then you have, I'm, I'm probably getting too much in the weeds here for you. Then you have these so-called interim legislative committees that meet before, uh, in between and all but one, the interim finance committee have no power to do anything. Uh, uh, uh but the interim finance committee has power to move money around, which is probably unconstitutional, but nobody's ever challenged it because shh, we should be able to do this. That's their solution to not meeting more us. Well, and I think that even if you have the best intentions and don't intend to abuse your power at all, if there's nobody around to hold you accountable, you kind of do by default because all of the other months of the year, the two years, you're doing whatever you want. And, and I would say, uh, and that's a, a great point, I, I would say that most, and I always say, I don't know the numbers, 92% or 96.3% of the uh, legislators I've met, and I'll include governors in this too, they are well-intentioned. Some of them are smarter than others. Some work harder than others. Some are less easily compromised. I don't use the word corrupted because almost none of them are corrupt, maybe a handful. But when I say compromised, you go up there wanting to do the right thing and having the best of intentions. And then suddenly it's the first time in your life that someone's given you a lot of respect and taking you out to play golf and fancy dinners. So they, what do I need to come back to this? You know, so it, the system itself is inherently corrosive and, and corrupting in, in, in a way that doesn't necessarily make you a criminal, but makes you compromise what you otherwise might have done. And, and so, 
Um, that system needs to be changed. It, it is a terrible system, this every four months, uh, part-time legislators that we pay nothing. Well, what kind of quality do you expect if that's the system that's set up, right? I, yes, I do agree with you, but I have a hard time seeing a future in which Nevadans want to pay their government more, which makes it hard because there's really no way around that issue except to fund the government more, but there's, there's not a, a lot of popularity. Imagine what would happen if that was put on the ballot. Do you think there's any chance it would pass? Uh, I doubt it. I think I would vote for it and you would vote for it. Yeah, that's two of us. <laughs> Which I mean by the education logic, that's a 100% increase. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about Harry Reid. And I know for me personally, growing up in Nevada, you don't have a lot of celebrities. There's not a lot of actors from Nevada, but it did mean a lot to me that we had Harry Reid. Like he showed me that Nevada matters. Um, and that Nevada could make a big impact. And I, I know that with you, you got shut out of his, of covering him right for a little bit after you put out a press story about his kids. Yeah, I, didn't get shut out of I didn't get shut out of covering him. I continued to cover him, but he wouldn't have to access. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, but now you're writing a book about him. So what's that journey like? Um, it, it has been the most um, interesting and most exhausting project I've ever taken on. Um, he, I, I had been, and, and you're right. I mean, you, you've only like scratched the surface of the up and down relationship that I had with him and covering him for 35 years. And it took me a long time to get him to agree to do a book. Um, but he eventually did. And that was the beginning of 2021. And I did, before he passed away, I did 24 Zoom interviews uh, with him. Uh, and Harry Reid, as you know, had a reputation for not talking much, but he talked a lot. And, and they, mm. were, they were revelatory in many ways. And he gave me special access to his archive up at UNR, which is, uh, I, I will tell you. Yes. Not UNLV. <laughs> no, yeah, he gave it to UNR for all kinds of reasons, but they, they are phenomenal. The special collections people at UNR are like some of my favorite people in the world mm. now. They have helped me because this is an almost, um, uh, 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 it's a mountainous amount of information. It's a, it's a thousand boxes and 12 million digital files. And so wow. they have, they've given me essentially a roadmap, but I found all kinds of uh, great stuff there. Unfortunately, a lot of the great stuff I found, I can't ask him about now because he's passed away but um the the book the book i hope i hope but i shouldn't say this because i'll probably jinx myself i hope will be sent to the publisher before the end of the year it, 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 it's actually supposed to be uh, turned into them in three weeks but i've told them that is not going to happen and they're pretty flexible on it but it's just it's it's a gargantuan task i, I take it very seriously Hillary, because he is a towering figure uh here mm -hmm. In, in Nevada, and, and, and he was one of the most consequential figures of the last quarter century in, 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 in Washington. So uh, I've done dozens upon dozens of interviews. I've interviewed a lot of his former colleagues. I've interviewed President Obama. I've interviewed Hillary Clinton about him and, 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 and a lot of his staffers. Uh, and so I've, I've gathered a tremendous amount of information, and I've written a lot. I've written, I've written about 15 chapters so far, which I haven't said publicly, so you're the first to hear that. <laughs> Um, but I still got, I've still got to, uh, a lot of work to do. Um, and, and, and I still have yet to butt heads with the editors, uh, with, with what the actual length of this book is going to be, because I think I want it to be longer than they do. Well, I mean, as long as it's under Obama's recent book in length, you should be fine. Yeah. It's going to be close, Matt. I'm kidding. But, uh, I know <laughs> I, I think he's worth a very long book, but the question mm -hmm. is, how do you define very long? I may have a different view of that, that but, but this is like, the top of the line, uh, 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 Simon and Schuster, and they have great people uh, working there. And I'm honored to be doing it. And and uh, I, I've gotten his widow, Landra, to sit down with me a couple of times. And she was much madder at me, by the way, than he ever was, because you write about someone's kids, right? One, one of the lessons yeah. of covering politics uh, that, that all young reporters should, should learn, I learned it pretty early on, actually, is that you should never be angry with spouses or kids who, who yell at you about your coverage or get mad at you because they are, they, they are, 
loyal uh, to their spouse or their dad or their son or whatever, and they're and they're never going to be able to be completely rational uh, about it. And so, mm-hmm. uh, one of the first races I ever covered, tell you a quick story, was in 1986. I was covering a congressional race, and one of the candidates. Uh, said uh, that the other candidate was dishonest. And so I quoted this person. And the next day waiting for me uh, in in the lobby of the Las Vegas Review Journal was that candidate's wife who wanted to yell at me saying her husband is completely honest and all the rest of it. It's tough to explain to somebody, well, listen, if your opponent is is saying that he's not, I I can't ignore that. But Mm -hmm. you you just, uh, and listen, uh, um, I had an up and down relationship with Reed, but he knew eventually, or he was persuaded that I was the right person to do the book. And we had some pretty amazing conversations, Hillary. And uh, it hit me much harder than I thought would when, when, when he died, because we had had this regular contact that had become personal. And he had talked mm-hmm. about his personal life and I had talked about mine. And so um, uh, uh, it, it's a challenge to do this. So I'm, and I'm really, really hoping I do, I do him and the subject matter justice. Well, I'm happy that it's you. I mean, like I grew up with your name. I grew up with his name. It just seems like a natural fit. That's nice Mm -hmm. of you to say. Thank you. I have saved my hardest question to be my last question. Uh Uh-oh. Your bio says that you want to be the film critic of the Nevada Independent. What movie have you seen this year that you think everybody should see? And why? (laughs) First of all, I hope film critic thing that was put in there by... Uh, uh, my editor, Elizabeth Thompson, who has said that over her dead body, will I ever write movie reviews? <laughs> and what's funny about that, by the way, is because she doesn't think it, it's appropriate for our site. We'll, 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 someday we'll <laughs> discuss that. But she she is like, uh, takes my uh, movie recommendations um, uh, uh, as gospel, and she and she thinks I have great taste uh, in movies. What movie have I seen uh, that I think... Uh, um, it's funny because the name of it now is is escaping me. I think it's called Everywhere, Everything, All at Once. Yes. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Have you seen it? Yes, I have. And did you like it? Yes, yes it, was it was super, super weird, weird, but I kind of like those movies. movies. Yeah, I, I was blown away by it. I thought it was just an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal yeah. movie. And so I think everybody should see it because I think everybody will take something different uh, away from it it's, it's totally weird but by the end of it i just felt like it had an overwhelming power uh, yeah. you know it's science fiction and all, all that stuff the, the basic story is is so universal and 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 you get that by the end so i just think i thought it was beautifully done everyone should see that well, that is a solid pick i appreciate that Yeah, John, I am so grateful for your time. Honestly, thank you so much. I hope that you come back on the show anytime you want. Thank Thank you. you. I'm happy to come back and you ask great questions, Hillary. And thank you so much for inviting me on. I I really had a good time. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate the show anywhere that you listen to podcasts. It helps spread the word about the show and helps us grow the moderate movement. If you have thoughts on this episode, future episodes, or just want to tell me what's on your mind, you can email me at talk at moderatepartypodcast.com. My inbox is always open and I try to get back to everybody. All right, that's it for me, guys. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.